I'd like now to um, introduce uh, a UK parliamentarian, Naz Shah, Member of Parliament for West Bradford and a Shadow Minister for Crime Prevention. Uh, the Labour parliamentarian was elected in 2015 and uh, if she could come and share her thoughts with us. I, there she is. Asalaamu Alaikum. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Andrew, and the Red Money Company group for inviting me to address you this morning. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the MP for Bradford West, and that is a, Bradford is the centre of the universe for me. I just thought I'd put that on the, out on the record before I began. Um, I also chair, for the purpose of this session, I also chair the all-party parliamentary group for Islamic banking, and in that role, it's here, it's, it's, it's within that role and capacity that I've been invited here to address yourselves. And we work to support the industry with various stakeholders, as well as enable the growth of the Islamic financial ecosystem in the UK. Today is a significant day, in case any of you have missed it, in about another hour and a half, you will have a new Prime Minister and the outcome of the Conservative leadership results and find out who will become the new PM. I won't get into party politics, you'll be pleased to know, because certainly not this early in the day, we've got the whole day left for that. Uh, but I will focus my remarks on the opportunities for the UK on Islamic finance, particularly as we build out in a post-Brexit engagement with the world. The United Kingdom has a rich and proud history of supporting Islamic finance, with successful, successive governments pushing the envelope and reinforcing London as a global hub. In my own party, that is the Labour Party, I am proud that this effort began in 2002 when the then Prime Minister instructed the Chancellor to form a committee to look into the impediments that were standing in the way, in the way of developing Islamic banking, Islamic finance in, in the UK, especially in London. The legal and regulatory changes that followed enabled London to develop and be recognised as a leader. We only need to look today at the size of the market to see how Islamic finance and has developed into a vibrant and active area in banking and a growing contributor to the UK economy. In the almost two decades since those changes were made, both in the UK and across the globe, we can see the sheer growth of the Islamic finance industry. From a market of just 200 billion in 2003, the Islamic finance sector is now expected to grow to over 4 trillion in assets by 2030. London and the UK has already has a huge role to play. London is the largest Islamic finance centre outside of the Muslim world. We have over 25 major UK law firms supplying Islamic legal services. All of the UK's largest accountants, consultants and professional service firms have Islamic finance departments and the London Stock Exchange has raised a total of US 34 billion through 49 Sukuk issuances. The work of the Bank of England Committee had the effect of encouraging market participants to enter the sector. We saw a tremendous amount of growth in the first 10 years, but despite London being a global hub for Islamic finance, it is sad to see that the last 10 years perhaps have not seen as much growth as we would have hoped. I want to talk a little bit about the encouraging growth that is emerging by Islamic fintechs. In the early 2000s, the only way for consumers to access and to access financial products was via banks or building societies. In this context, we saw many new entrants taking advantage of a new legal landscape and the potential new business opportunities Islamic finance created. The UK authorised several Islamic banks. The Islamic windows emerged. 
Having spoken to some members of the committee, I am aware that there were aspirations that product development and further choices would be made available to consumers to take them out of the financial exclusion that they faced. However, in hindsight, what we see is that whilst there was a birth of this amazing industry in the heart of London, commercial pressures to make profits and have business, business models that deliver returns for shareholders have all conspired to slow down growth, certainly for the consumer. The truth is we failed to nurture this baby. Moving now to the current times, London has emerged as one of the global lead leaders for financial technology companies. Against this backdrop, we have seen the development of a thriving Islamic fintech industry led by founders who are concerned by the lack of products and the continuing financial exclusion of minority communities. The changes in the regulatory environment to support such fintechs has also been empowering. So, we see opportunity for growth with these Islamic fintechs, but we need to, the government to continue to be financially inclusive and to show, ensure that our laws remain up to date to deal with the new types of financial providers, whilst creating facilitatory environments that ensure these fintechs don't just get created but also be scaled. I was very proud to recently work with one of the members of a former Bank of England committee, Mohammed Paracha, who, having seen a lack of product development, founded Nesta, which adopts a community-based approach to deliver fixed income solutions. Together, we lobbied for change into income tax, corporation tax, and capital gains tax treatment for products under a peer-to-peer -peer arrangement. This culminated in Parliament approving what is now known as the Alternative Finance Income Tax, Capital Gains Tax, and Corporation Tax Order 2022, a great addition to the Islamic finance laws already on the statute books. There are many new fintechs that are all contributing to the Islamic finance ecosystem, such as Algebra, IFG, Wahid, and too many others to mention here. They are all trying to push the envelope and create solutions where the traditional banks have been, able to, been unable to. And not just to provide Islamic and ethical finance either. I have just come back from Pakistan, where I was able to see the first-hand devastation caused by the floods and the climate change in the country Despite contributing less than 1% of greenhouse global emissions, it's still amongst the top 10 in the world to be affected by climate change. Our new wave of fintechs, for example, like Algebra, are both tackling religion exclusion by being Sharia compliant, but also addressing head-on the challenges of environment by enabling carbon tracking and offsetting at the consumer transaction level. There are issues that disproportionately affect Muslim communities and Islamic economics, and so we must see more interconnectedness. And I can tell you from, I, I am going to move away from my speech because I met, uh, I met somebody who was literally walking around for four or five days looking for a box, a man who'd lost his box with his life savings in for his three daughters' marriages. Now, those countries do not have plastic. They do not have developed financial services. So whilst we are in a privileged position, we can't take for granted what, what, how far we have also come. In my role as the chair of the APPG, we have also been lobbying the government to continue updating the laws. And we're currently waiting to hear back from, we are currently waiting to hear back from the, um, from the banking industry enabled asset manager. Sorry, I'm doing a Boris Johnson here, aren't I? Well, he is on his way out. So HMRC on changes to facilitate IJARA transactions as well as updating the ISA regulations so that the same tax efficiencies that are available to every consumer in the UK are also available to Muslim consumers. It is important, as I have noted earlier, for us to ask ourselves whether more can be done. 
and clearly more can be done. London will continue to play an important role for the wholesale banking market. However, it is the retail consumers that are often neglected and I want to focus a little bit about how I think the government should be developing its strategy for Islamic finance, which will not just improve the lives of British Muslim consumers, but will also create opportunities for the wholesale banking industry and enable asset managers and others to innovate and to grow their businesses further, thereby contributing towards the economic activity that this city is known for. One area that I want to highlight is that where it remains a need for Islamic, is, is, uh, where there really does need, remains a need, is Islamic pensions. We need a wider range of products that will allow us to plan for our retirement. In much the same way as governments are focused on the need for financial planning for the general population, there needs to be a renewed focus on the, this aspect of Islamic finance as well. Asset managers in the room, you need to sit up and listen. Here is your business opportunity. And those pensions won't just serve the needs of Muslim consumers. That capital can be then deployed to serve deep ESG goals that are disproportionately affecting global minority communities. Another topic that is close to many people's heart is the absence of an alternative student finance scheme for Muslim students. There is now a pledge for this to be delivered by 2025, but pledges have been broken before, and the APPG, including myself, will continue to hold ministers to account so that the current pledge is delivered. The government also needs to recognise that the way in which consumers buy their homes is changing. Whilst the solution in the, for the vast majority to buy through a bank or building society will inevitably remain the same, the introduction of fintech solutions in the Islamic finance con economy continues to shake things up. Recently, I wrote to HMRC suggesting that we hold a joint workshop at the House of Commons with the Islamic finance industry to look at ways in which the economy has moved on which would enable the various fintechs and other market participants to set out their stalls. I would again like to extend that invitation to HMRC and the wider government in this open forum today. Finally, as I wrap up, I can see many talented bankers, lawyers and accountants, as well as other market participants in this audience. It falls on all of us as stakeholders in this industry to take ownership to strive together in creating more products, whether for consumers or wholesale markets, all of which can serve wider positive societal impact. This is what will continue to reinforce London as a global hub for Islamic finance. If you ask me what's the best city in the Western world, you should have already guessed it because I started with it. It is, you know, to invest, to grow old in as a Muslim, it is Bradford. But if you ask most Muslims from across the globe, they will tell you it's London. And by opening our market to Islamic finance or more ethical forms of banking, it helps the UK open its future to new markets, trade and investments, at a time when our nation is facing a cost of living crisis. Our country needs more investment, trade and an economy that pro provides better growth. I believe that by further opening the doors to Islamic finance or ethical finance, we can help us do just that. It is with great pleasure that these conferences are taking place. In particular, I know that your last one was pre-COVID, so it's nice to be in the same room with lots of people. And, so, and especially in this square mile, because it's not often I get out of Parliament. I know that today's agenda is packed, and on that note, I'm going to wrap up and wish you all a successful and productive day. Thank you.